I had been thinking about a topic for for a couple weeks now, maybe. Maybe it's just this past week. And just saying, okay, Lord, what are you really wanting to show us? And and a while back I had this this idea for a sermon series, and I'm not starting a sermon series today, but I had an idea for a sermon series called Pharisee. <laughs> and just walking through some of the text with the way that the Lord dealt with Pharisees, these self-righteous, religious individuals who didn't recognize the Messiah for who He was because they were blinded by religion, essentially. Um, and so this kind of flows in that vein just a little bit. Um, and so just in, in thinking about this, I kind of had this topic of the spirit of religion kind of brewing in me. And uh, I really didn't have anything solid until this morning at like 6 a.m. And so is there a little bit of feedback? Do you hear that clipping just a little bit? No? It just must be me. Okay. Um, and so this morning, or actually it was yesterday, the day before, I messaged Jonathan and I just said, hey, random question. Do you have the word for Sunday? <laughs> and he said, well, he said, no, but maybe someone in the congregation does. I was like, okay, we'll see what the Lord does. Um, but this morning I woke up at like six something and, and I was talking to somebody, I was talking to Brian and I just want to give you a little bit of an update, I suppose. Not that it really matters, but you know, I've stopped drinking coffee and um, interestingly he was like, oh, I'm, you know, you're, you're fasting. And I was like, I'm actually not really fasting. I'm kind of just not drinking it. And I don't know that I'm going to start again. I want to. And I made the comment that I wanted coffee this morning. I was like, just a nice day for coffee, right? And I think maybe I'll get to that point, but you know, that's later on down the road. It took me six or seven years of sobriety to be okay with one beer. So maybe it'll take me that long to be okay with one coffee. I don't know. We'll see. Well, you know, beer caused me a lot more problems than coffee did. So I, I think we might be okay there. Um, but so what I was saying and how this all ties in was that I only got maybe five hours and 15 minutes of sleep last night, but it was solid. I didn't wake up. It was like hard sleep. And so I'm having these, I'm waking up earlier these days because I'm getting more solid sleep throughout the evening. So if it's six hours, it's six solid hours versus me getting seven hours. And I've, I've gotten up three or four times in the middle of the night because my body hasn't detoxed all the, the caffeine, right? So I uh, got up this morning, six something, and just kind of laid. I went and moved to the couch because Illy was footing me in the ribs again. And I uh, just kind of laid there. I was talking to the Lord and just praying and giving him some things, saying, here, there's some things on my heart. I want, you know, I, will you, essentially what I was asking the Lord was to judge my thoughts and, and the intentions of my heart, which is what scripture says. That, that the Word does this. It judges the thoughts and the, the intentions of our heart. And so I've been having these thoughts and I've been having these things, so I just presented them to him and I say, will you judge these? And so he kind of showed me of some, some stuff where I was wrong and what I was doing, um, but then also revealed some other things uh, to me about some other stuff as well. But it was during that time that he gave me this quick download uh, surrounding this spirit of religion. And so when I say this spirit of religion... Um, it's this mentality and this thought process, and I, I would also argue, we can talk about this later, I always say this, that it, that falls into the scripture that says, for our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and authorities. And I think that there is a very specific attack from the enemy using religion to blind us, just like the Pharisees, to blind us from what the Lord is really doing and from what He really wants us to see. And it limits 
the fullness of our understanding. And it also, religion limits the fullness of our potential to truly love individuals because this is what Jesus was all about. He, all, he was all about coming to love individuals. And so the ultimate goal of all of this is to promote love, to say, yay, love, and to say, woe to religion, right? Or no to religion. That's, that's the purpose of this. And so when I say religion, we, we kind of have to get on the same page with the terms because, yes, Christianity is a religion. It's, it, it's looked at as a religion by people who would say, okay, the religions of the world are Christianity, Buddhism, Islam, that kind of thing. We can categorize it that way. But we all know, if we're close to the Lord, we all know that we don't follow the Lord through religion. We follow Him through relationship. So we, we can all know that. So when I say, when I'm talking about the spirit of religion, I'm talking about the things that try and move us in the direction of the way that maybe we've seen the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those religious leaders in the way that they came against Christ. Because ultimately, the spirit of religion opposes Jesus. And it opposes Jesus in us. And so not only does the spirit of religion attack us, sometimes it also, it, it also influences us so that we act in a religious fashion. And so I'm going to describe a little bit of what that's like. And so I think, one, the Lord wants us to see, uh, first and foremost... Scripture tells us that we no longer accord or we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh as once we did Christ. But now we're in Christ, so we, we see people according to spiritual ways. So our, our struggle's not against flesh and blood. The Scripture tells us that people are not our enemy. And so this has implication for our relationships. It has implication for our parenting for our boyfriends or girlfriends or our spouses. And what happens in marriages is we think, and, and the spirit of religion and, and you know, Satan opposition comes against us, and then we begin to classify or categorize our spouses as our enemy or people around us who are, who are doing us wrong or offending us. We begin to categorize them as an enemy. And if that can happen, the enemy has won in converting our our heart from a heart of love to a heart of religion towards those individuals. And so I think there's massive implication for our marriages, and we have to beware that that spirit of religion, uh, it wants to wreak havoc in our marriages. It also wants to wreak havoc in our ministries. And so the things that the Lord has called us to do, and we're moving forward in those things, we're being obedient, we're going to have opposition from man. And it's not always opposition from the unbelieving man, but oftentimes it's opposition from the believing man or woman. And so brothers and sisters in Christ can be influenced by a religious spirit to not have a full revelation of what's actually going on behind the scenes and having full revelation of seeing a person in the spirit, but not according to the flesh. Does this make sense? Are you tracking? And so... One of the statements that I have, so I have notes, but they're in no particular order. <laughs> so I'm kind of just going off of some of the things that I got in some scriptures. But one of the statements I want to make this morning is this, is that the spirit of religion veils a proper understanding of God's heart, His intentions, and His purposes. So God intends to do things. 
He purposes and He wills to do things. And He has a heart for us and for situations and for people. But what a spirit of religion does is it veils it, which means we only see in part, we don't see in full. Now, when I think, I think there are multiple kinds of veils, but when I think of a veil, I think of a bride who has put a veil over her face, and then once marriage happens, then the veil is removed, and you see the fullness of the beauty of that bride. And so I think that a spirit of religion causes us to see people sometimes veiled, that we don't truly see their beauty. That a spirit of religion causes us to see them as enemies, and it causes us to allow them to offend us in certain ways, shapes, or forms. And so that what we don't, what we don't see is the beauty and the image of God in a person. We don't see the heart of a person. We see actions and offenses And that spirit of religion veils us from seeing those people in the way that we should truly see them. So I'll just make a couple of of other statements and then we'll kind of walk through some scripture that will help us understand some of this. But a spirit of religion, it snuffs out love. It creates unrealistic expectations of people. And a religious spirit is unappeasable. Which means that no matter what somebody does, even if you gave them a list of rules and commands to follow, that if they followed them to the T, the spirit of religion would not allow you to be appeased or happy with the things that they've done. And so that, in and of itself, lets me know, and of course this all ties into how God has dealt with us, it lets me know that love or that works are not a prerequisite for love, for true love, right? Religion... The prerequisite uh, for love through religion is works, but love is snuffed out by religion. It doesn't exist. It says do or do not, and then there's no relationship. It's either you do or you don't, but that's not the God we serve. But oftentimes that spirit influences us, and it happens in our marriages. We set up, and, and, and just relationships in general, we set up expectations that when they go unmet, we're offended and we're hurt, and then we justify maybe giving our spouse the silent treatment or we justify whatever it is. Well, I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that because they didn't do this and they didn't do that. That's not the covenant of grace. Right? We function in the covenant of grace. That's, that's the, the law. The law says do this and then I'll do that. Right? And so uh, the religious spirit makes people our enemy and it makes us not see Satan as the enemy. And so we have to realize and, and I'm quoting Pocky, if you guys know Pastor Pocky. He's kind of notorious for saying this, this statement because he deals with a lot of uh, craziness in street ministry. He comes across all sorts of people who have all sorts of addictions and mental illness, uh, mental, excuse me, mental illness. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, so mental illness, addiction, abuse, abandonment, All of those things are cause for the way that people act. And just because these people are on the the street, it doesn't mean that you're impervious to being a certain way and acting a certain way because of the abuse, the abandonment, the neglect, the shame, the guilt, the hurt that exists inside of you. So the statement that Pocky makes concerning these things is that it's always spiritual before it's physical. And we have to believe this. 
God, Spirit, Spirit of, the, Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, the face of the earth, and then He spoke, let there be light, and then He created. So it was Spirit first, and then there was physical that manifested from that. And it's the same way with us. It's all spiritual. Jesus talks about it where He says, it's not what goes into a man's mouth that makes him unclean. It's not physical things that we put in us that make us unclean. He's talking about food. But he says, it's what comes out of a man. It's what comes from us. For From the heart of a man, the mouth speaks. So this spiritual place in us, where we have life, it's from that place that those things flow. And so it's from an invisible place that the physical manifests. I can't see my heart physically. You can see my heart spiritually, right? And so it's spiritual before it's physical. And so we have to remember that people aren't our enemy and our struggles not against flesh and blood. It's against powers, principalities, and authorities. And so, with that being said, we can approach, one, conflict resolution from a place of love and not from a place of religion. So what does that look like? It means that if for some reason somebody offends me or says something that causes me burden or harm or whatever it is, it means that my, my, the first place my thoughts and my attitude towards that individual should go is not of accusation and of defense, becoming defensive and accusing them, them, them then of being something else. So what happens is when, bring, when, when, there's con, when there's conflict, it's typically because somebody has something against us. So there's accusation that exists. And so that person accuses us of something. And typically our response isn't take the accusation like Christ did and be silent and sacrifice and die in love. It's accuse back. Right? So will you this? Will you that? And that's the cause of arguments in relationships. When there's an accusation brought, it's not, you know what, you're right. I'm wrong, or maybe you're not right, but in love, let me hear you out and try and figure out why you're saying the things you're saying, and then respond in love and say, let's find conflict, conflict resolution. Typically, our first inclination is to meet accusation with accusation, right? And so what love does, love, it hears the accusation, and then I believe it takes that accusation and presents it to the Lord. And we say, okay, Lord, I'm accused of this. Is this right or is this wrong? And I learned this a long time ago, not using this language. But there were times where being a pastor of, uh, of a larger church <laughs> in the past, um, people would bring accus accusation against me all the time. Well, Jason this and Jason that, and he did this or he didn't do this. You know, or Jason, Jason's not open to the Spirit. That's offensive, Guess what? I was not as open to the Spirit then as I am now. So those accusations in that time were true, but what did pride and religion do? Caused me to not really search out the truth, if any, of the accusation brought to me. But there were times in the past where people would accuse me of things, and I would, I would always say, I would always take it to the Lord. Lord, I'm hurt. This offends me. I don't think this is true about me, but let me present this to you. Will you judge this accusation and will you let me know if this is something that's actually right about me? Is it true that I don't listen? 
Is it true that I'm unkind? Is it true that I, I'm sharp in my words? Is it true that I'm a control freak? Is it true that my attitude on a Sunday morning setting up a portable church sets the tone for other people setting up a portable church? These are things that people accuse me of, and I had to, I had to take that accusation and meet it with love, not meet it with accusation. Because love is not proud, and it does not boast. But a religious spirit is proud and boasts. And a religious spirit meets accusation with a puffing up of self. That was another scripture that I had. This is a religious spirit brings attention to self and not to God. A religious spirit always says, look at me. And so a couple of different places, if you guys want to look it up, uh, Matthew 15, uh, verse 2 through 9. And so I'll just I'll read this. It says, uh, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Uh, Jesus provided. And why do you break the command of God for, your sake, for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that uh, what, might ha- what we might have... Um, oh gosh, I'm lost. Sorry, let me start over. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God... They are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in veins, and their, teach, their teachings are merely human rules. So Jesus is addressing the Pharisees, and he's saying, Look, most of what you're trying to follow anyway is just tradition taught by men. And so you have a way that you want people to function... And so you won't love them unless they function the way that you want them to function. Another place is this, where Jesus says in Matthew 6, He says it in three different places. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward with the Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. Another place he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others, pleasing self. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. Another place he says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disguise their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. So the spirit of religion prioritizes self over others. And it prioritizes, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a thing of pride that we want the glory instead of God getting the glory. So the spirit of relig- religion seeks glory of man over glory of God. And it seeks to please self first and foremost. And so I'm saying this because there are going to be times where a spirit of religion comes against you, but there's going to be times where the spirit of religion rises up in you and causes you to focus on self first and foremost. And we have to be aware of these things, and we have to learn how to meet these things with love. Have you guys experienced something like that? Where your, your first inclination is to, is to, with accusation, or whatever it is, conflict, you start to essentially try and... So you're face-to-face with this person and that person accuses you or there's conflict and they say, well, you this. 
And then essentially what you do is like, well, well, you don't. And you don't. So essentially you've tried to elevate yourself above that person by saying you're better because of your works, right? Or your lack of sin in the ways that they sin or whatever it may be, right? Does that make sense? And so <clears throat> I want to read real quick uh, this statement, and then I'm going to read some scripture. It says, the religious spirit makes us miss people's heart. It makes us miss hearts. And then at that point, we're regarding people according to the flesh. Because let me tell you, and when it really boils down to it, and I think this is the reason that Matthew 18 says what it says, that if, if a brother or sister or if a brother offends you, to go to them and take that offense to them. Because what that does is it opens the door for conversation so that you can explore the intentions of the individual. And I can tell you that 99% of the time when I offend my wife and she tells me of the offense, my first statement and probably your first statement is like, well, that's not, I didn't mean to hurt you. I didn't intend to hurt you. Because what happens is Sometimes when people hurt us, we think that they're evil and they're out to get us. And 99% of the time, that's not true. 1% <laughs> of the time, we have enemies who are coming against us and trying to bring ill will. I mean, I know people that they're, they have enemies against them, scheming, lying in wait. There's scripture in, in, in Psalm where uh, David talks about the enemy lying in wait on the road, hiding in the ditch, basically, so that when he comes by, they can pounce. This is what happened in the story, the road, uh, yeah, the road to uh, Samaria, the road where there was this, uh, the good Samaritan, there was the person who had been robbed. Now, this road was known for people being robbed. Robbers would lie in wait, and then as people traveled alone, they would then attack. And so there are people who will come against us who will lie in wait to bring attack against us. But 99% of the time, the people around us, especially those who are closest to us, our spouses, our children, our family, our cousins, whoever it is, those people, giving them the benefit of the doubt, aren't out to get us or harm us. And so if we simply explore the conflict, we explore the accusation, we explore the offense, well then we get to the heart of the matter. And that's what we really want to boil it down to is we want to see the heart behind the person. And, and I can tell you that more times than, than none, I'm, I feel bad for the things that I do that hurt others. I don't always think before I act, but I do feel bad for things that I do, and I have to end up apologizing later. Um, and I believe that's because the heart behind, behind my actions is pure, but I don't always function in line with the way that my heart wants to act, right? Our soul, our flesh gets in the way sometimes. So let's just look real quick at um, Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44. And this is the story of the widow's might. Um, and so basically this, uh, this old lady gives a couple of pennies to the church treasury, and Jesus is there to give an accurate depiction of the situation. So it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, 
But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. And calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything all she had to live on. So how is it that in an instant Jesus can watch people putting money into a treasury, essentially the offering box, whatever you want to call it. Jesus is watching people do it. People are coming. He's seeing these other people put in large amounts. And then he sees this woman. She comes in she puts in two cents. You know, there are times where I've had probably 100 bucks in my pocket and the offering plate comes around. I'm like, 20 bucks. You know? It, it, and I give less just to give less. So it, it could have been that the woman had a bag full of money and just chose to be cheap and gave two cents. Right? That's what a, maybe a religious person would think. You know? Maybe not knowing the heart. Well, everybody else gave all this money and here she is just giving a little bit. She's probably, you know, maybe she's cheap or greedy. A religious spirit would judge the action without knowing the heart behind the action. And what love does is it sees the heart of the individual and judges the actions after knowing the heart, right? And so Jesus knew the heart of the woman. She gave a couple pennies and he said she gave everything she had. I saw the heart behind that action. That's what love does. Love sees the heart. Love should seek to see the heart. Scripture tells us in Matthew 5 that blessed are those um, who uh, are peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be known as children of God. Those people who seek out to find conflict resolution, the people who seek out peace, and they have the the conversations that need to be had and they communicate in such a way that they are desiring to make peace where there is no peace. That's what love does. It seeks out peace in the midst of conflict. Love doesn't seek to be right in a situation. And I've struggled a lot this week with a situation like this where everything in me wants to argue right based on something that uh, somebody is saying is wrong. Well, I think this is wrong. Well, I think it's right. Well, what do we do? We both have the Spirit of God in us. I mean, logic would conclude that somebody's right. And this is the thing about the religious spirit. is I think it sees things so much more in black and white than what love sees. Now there are issues of love and there are issues of the heart, there are issues of the kingdom that are black and white, easy. But it's interesting because even in a black and white law, the letter that was given to the Israelites by Moses, even in the law where it says, do not commit adultery, that's pretty black and white, just don't do it. But then Jesus comes and the, the, the spirit of religion it didn't give insight into the fullness of the intention, the purpose, and the heart behind the commandment, do not commit adultery. Jesus coming in love and knowing the Father's heart and having full revelation of the knowledge of the Father in His heart because He is God, He came and said, well, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, even if you've lusted. So He, what was a black and white issue, thou shalt not, became an issue where there was more revelation to be had concerning that commandment. And it was religion 
And it was the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, that weren't teaching that in the fullness of what it was meant to be because they didn't understand the heart and the mind of the Father. They didn't understand the love behind it. They saw it as the letter that was not to be come against. Black and white, don't break it. This is how it is. And they failed to see what God was trying to do with His people behind the scenes to draw their heart to, his effect, to, 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 affect, to have affection for Him. This is what God wanted. God wants relationship with us. He wants a love relationship. If He wanted us to just do or do not, He would have made us robots. Yet He gave us free will, and now He's put His Spirit in us to will in us, to want us to desire to, to do right where we can do wrong and to be obedient where we can be disobedient. But it's through relationship that He does this. It's from a place of relationship that we live this way. And so I find it interesting that a spirit of religion, it blocks us from having a full revelation and a full understanding of God's heart, His mind, His intentions, and His purposes for a certain situation. And so I would encourage us to, one, heed the scripture that says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because there are still ways in which we navigate this earth and the way that we view our relationships with our spouses, our friends, and our families, and with brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're seeing things in a veiled fashion. And we're seeing things maybe often too black and white, whether it's right or wrong. Well, what does love say? What if I'm wrong? What does love say? That's what I ask people all the time. Scripture tells us, so, so when people come to me and they're trying to learn how to deal with an individual, one of my first questions is, well, do you think this person is your neighbor or your enemy? And you, maybe the Spirit's telling you where I'm going with this. Because Scripture tells us to deal with our neighbor and our enemy in the same way. Love your neighbor as yourself. But God, this person's my enemy. Love your enemy. Do not curse him. If he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Love requires us to treat everybody the same way. And to respond to our enemies in the same fashion and to respond to our loved ones and our neighbors in the same fashion. Love brings about a new dimension to our lives. I hope you're feeling this. We need to see things through a different dimension. There's, new, there's deeper layers to things. It's not just right or wrong. Right or wrong is either you're my friend or you're my enemy. Think about what's happening in the world. All of the division that's been created because people are either right or wrong. Well, what do you think about this issue? Well, I think this. Well, I think you're wrong. I think this is right. Right or wrong, division. And there's so many divisions that have been created in this world right now that has separated us from other people who bear the image of God, who have a potential to know Jesus, therefore become His Son, and then be activated into mission to bring His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, to be brought into the fullness of their purpose on earth, which brings about the fullness of their relationships and their potential and their giftings and their destiny to be lived out on earth. And what the spirit of religion has done and what Satan has so strategically done and has done it, I hate to give him any credit, that jerk, but we've bowed to it. 
And we've allowed that spirit to overcome us so that in situations we seek to be right, and we seek, we seek to make the other person wrong, thus elevating ourselves as better than and not coming down like Christ did, leaving his kingdom, his throne, leaving his riches and becoming nothing and losing everything so that we might be something and we might gain everything. <laughs> this is the love of Christ. And the spirit of religion comes against that so forcefully and brutally. If you, if you know anything about computers, if you know anything about the IT world, about internet security, there's something called brute force attacks. And so you have a website that requires a username and a password. Typically these passwords, these websites are encrypted. And what hackers do is they come along and they write these algorithms and they write this code. Somehow they infiltrate your computer through a link or through an email or whatever it is. And then they run this program and it's called brute force attack. And essentially what it does is repeatedly, unrelentingly, for days and hours and even months, runs this algorithm. If it's unchecked, it runs essentially eternally <laughs> until they stop it or your computer catches it. So if you, if you don't have virus detection, it doesn't catch this this virus, essentially it's just, just brute force attack trying to break into whatever password protected site or file exists on your computer. And it is relentless and it is brutal. And this is the best example that I have to liken the attack of the enemy and the spirit of religion and the spirit of division coming against us as, bro as brothers and sisters in Christ and coming against this world. And so for not just days and months, I mean, the internet was invented, I don't know, 90s out by Al Gore, right? And so, so we can think that for 20-something years, viruses have been attacking computers. Think about how long Satan has been attacking mankind, well, since the first man and he's relentless in his scheming. And we have to ask the Lord for a, a new dimension of sight. Not an earthly sight, but a spiritual heavenly sight. So that we can see past. We can see past the physical. We see past the offenses. We see past pride. We see past hurt. We see past those, the people being our enemy. We see past wanting to be right or wrong. And we come against things in a spirit of love, in a spirit of Christ, and we seek to see that second dimension. We could judge a widow for giving two mites because we don't think it's enough. That's religion. We can stand back and seek to know the heart of a person and say that was more than they had to give. That's two completely different worlds to live in. And the Lord's calling us to this world. The, the heavenly realm, the, the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of man, not the kingdom of religion, the kingdom of this, this world or this earth, but the kingdom of God. And so I don't know about you, but I'm saying yes to that. I need it. You know, I prayed a while back and, and it was as if I was, you know, it's interesting, like um, part of, what has caused so much turmoil in our, in our society. And it has been both good and bad. It's a double-edged sword because it's caused a lot of good and it's caused a lot of harm is this issue of our rights. So thank God for the Bill of Rights. All men are created equal. 
I mean, I believe that. But we're so bent on having rights. That, right? and, and so these things are good in the world. But what happens is we allow the world to infiltrate our spiritual lives and we think that we have rights. And Christ gave up all of his rights when he left the throne to come and live in the world. He had every right not to be spit upon as the creator of man. He had every right not to be rejected because he made us and loved us. Yet he submitted himself to that in sacrificial love. Willingly submitted himself to ridicule and scorn and accusation, unfounded. And I was praying one day and I said, I just began to relinquish my right to all sorts of things. God, I give up my right. And one of the things that moved me was I gave up my right to be offended. And yet I've still functioned from a place of offense to those I know and love. And I've allowed people to offend me to a point that I lower myself to the status of the accuser and accuse right next to them. And that, that does nothing. We have to function from a higher place to function from a different place. We have to function from a spiritual place. We no longer regard anybody according to the flesh. We see people, we intend to see their hearts. And we intend to function out of love and not out of right or wrong. And there will be situations where we're right, but love is not proud and love does not boast. When you're right, you don't boast. You submit that to the Father. You say, Lord, I think they're wrong. I think I'm right, but I have no right to want them to give me credit that whatever knowledge I have of a certain situation is right and they were wrong. It should not be my desire for the situation. My desire, again, in the kingdom is peace and unity so that we can all together as the body work according to our, our giftings and our role. So that each member, when it does its part, it builds the body up with Christ as the head and we move this thing forward. And so the Lord's calling us from seeing things in, in a worldly, religious, selfish fashion to really, to really stepping into something new. And I just do that symbolically because the Lord wants to move us forward. And it's interesting that I'm just like, it took a step, close, step, uh, step closer to the door. Right? That who we are and the way that we live and what the Lord has called us to, it exists primarily outside of the doors of this building. And the way that we interact with friends and our family and our spouses and our children and our workplaces. So... I think, so in the book of Acts, it says they were all in one place. It says they were in one accord, which means they were all in, all in agreement. 
And I think I can sense that we're all in agreement that this is something that we desire for ourselves. So just to make the statement, Lord, we desire that the spirit of religion be broken off and no longer have power to influence or infiltrate us, that we live from a place of love in Christ by the power of the Spirit in us as we navigate this world and have relationship with neighbors and enemies. Right? So can we all agree on that statement? That's a desire. It's God's desire for us. It's our desire for us. And so I'm just going to pray symbolic agreement. This is what we're going to do. We're just going to say yes, Lord. Because this is God's heart for us. And I just, I love this place. I love the season that we're in. Because my desire as a teacher and a leader is to tap into the heart and mind of God for His people in this moment, in this place. I believe that we've done that. And I believe we've done that on a different level this morning. I believe He's speaking louder and clearer than maybe we've ever heard Him before. Because He's calling us to deeper relationship with Him. He's calling us into deeper mission. He's calling us into deeper love and deeper intimacy. And so we just say, God, this is what you want for us, and so this is what we want for us as well. So I just ask you to just stand and say, we're just going to say, yes, Lord, okay? So we're going to just admit some of, our, some of the ways, and you, you can do it with you. I'll, I'll do it for us corporately. Just going to admit some of the ways that we've uh, navigated some of our relationships and our ways through a religious, a religious mentality. We're just going to give that to Him, admit our guilt, um, and then in Christ we'll know that we're forgiven, and then we'll ask for the Lord's will for what He desires for us to be released to heaven or into earth as it is in heaven. So, Father, we we approach you. We know that you're in us. God, you're speaking very clearly this morning. I thank you so much for that. Father, we want for us what you want for us. And that prayer simply says, your will on earth as it is in heaven. It says, I want what you want. And we so clearly see what you desire for us. And so, Father, first we just admit that we've been religious in certain ways where we've set up unrealistic expectations for other, others. God, we've, we've allowed some of our relationships to be law-based. If people don't do this, well, then we won't do that. God, we admit that we've not searched, we, we've not intended to search the heart of our friends and our enemies when there's conflict and accusation, and yet instead we've responded with accusation and we've been proud and boastful. So we just admit these things, Lord. We've been guilty of this. We thank you that in Christ Jesus, if there's any man in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That Christ has died once for all sin. That we are sanctified and we are seated in Christ Jesus. We have been forgiven. Scripture tells us that, that if we confess, if we ask, he's faithful and just to forgive us all our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so, Jesus, we just thank you that it's already done, that because of your blood we're not found guilty of our sin. You were found guilty of our sin on the cross. 
and the payment has been made. And so thank you that we are free from that. It's been put on you. It's been destroyed. That you've destroyed the work of the enemy. You've, de- you've defeated sin and death. And so in you, we have defeated sin and death. And so thank you, Jesus, that we're not guilty because of who you are. And so God, I just ask that your will in heaven be made manifest on earth through us. So God, we just lay this down at your feet. We say no more religion, no more pride, no more boasting, no more seeking to be right. We desire to seek to love. So we just say we step into agreement, God. We, we want to function from a higher place. We want to see the, the, the deeper level of understanding and revelation of your heart and your intentions and your thoughts and your purposes behind every situation, every encounter we have with other people, God. And so we just say yes to that. And by your spirit, we believe that it will begin to manifest in us and that it will come to fruition and will be brought into full maturity on earth through us, through our words, through our actions, through our love, through our thoughts, through everything that we do as we interact and navigate this earth on mission for you by the power of your spirit. Deep, intimate love relationship with you, Jesus. So the power of these words are in saying yes and amen by just agreeing in our hearts and our spirits. We just declare amen.